Welcome to Yes the Stripper Podcast, a podcast for all sex workers. On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. We'll also talk about the climate in and outside of the clubs and all the amazing things us sex workers do. I'm so inspired and in awe with each and every one of you, and I'm always excited for what's going to be shared next. I'm your stripper queen from the North, Onyx, and this is Yes a Stripper Podcast. How's it going, everyone? And welcome back to Yes a Stripper Podcast. I am your host, Queen from the North, Onyx. People, we are a couple days away from May, and it is cold outside, and it feels like it might snow again. Welcome to <laughs> Alberta. And where you might experience all four seasons in one day. Um, and our next guest can tell you a lot about the weather because she are there all the way from the West Coast. Um, they are an exotic dancer, YouTuber, podcaster, pole traveler, hobby chef, so many things. And you guys, I watched one of her cooking episodes and it was legit food porn. <laughs> Everyone, please welcome our next guest, Steph Sia, also known as Kimchi. Say hello. Oh, hello. It's so <laughs> great to be here. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we get to do this interview. It's finally happening. It's been a long time on the back burner, but you know, life has been so crazy. What's been going on with you? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, it sure has been a little bit crazy. I mean, I've been doing the show every single week. So that keeps me busy as well as my YouTube channel, which keeps me very busy. And I got engaged as well. So... <laughs> Yes, it's amazing. Okay, so I want to dive right in because we've got a lot to talk about. Um, But before we get started, why don't you tell us what your pronouns are? Oh, yeah. Um, She, her. Perfect. So I didn't fuck it up, you guys. I did say she and I (laughs) said that said they, but I got it right. (laughs) Oh, it's all good. I, 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 whatever. She, her is good with me. I'm I'm easy. (laughs) Perfect. Um, So how long have you been stripping for and what's it like stripping in BC? Yeah. So I guess officially I've been stripping since 2018. Unofficially, I have been stripping since 2016. So the story, <laughs> the story behind that is because I had my own like misogyny and my own struggle with not being okay with being labeled a stripper, not being labeled a sex worker uh, for a couple of years. So I was doing amateur nights just over and over again because I was like, I don't know if I am ready to take on all of the stigma, but I felt, and I realized I'm doing a a whole disservice to everyone else's in the industry that's been doing it forever. And then one day it just switched and I was like, you know, I am going to be stripper because that's what I want to do. And I just said, fuck. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Write me that TikTok that's going viral. Here we go. I was was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I want to do because that's what I want to do. And I want to be happy. And Stripping is one of the things that make me happy. So um, in terms of how it differs in the Pacific Northwest and Onyx, I'm sure you know, because you've also danced here as well. It is a little bit different. So to dance on stage specifically, you need to go through the agency. And there is an agency that books all of the strippers for stage shows and how that is working. I mean, well, kind of working (laughs) and I have my own thoughts about agency work but um 
Basically, the agent will book you and you're booked for a week, five days to a week at a certain uh, strip club and you kind of rotate. It's called the circuit. So you get sent to different clubs and now things are styling finally starting to re- reopen even up in the north and other places but generally speaking you kind of rotate the girls um amongst the clubs and yeah you're free to sell dances there you get paid for your shows you get cuts and all these <laughs> deductions, deductions as you also know <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a little bit about how it works on like surface level and yeah you can sell your private dances which is they range from like Twenty dollars to forty, fifty dollars, which is more average, I would say. Club takes a deduction. You got to tip the bouncer or the DJ or whoever. However, it's set up in each club. Each club's kind of different, but that's kind of a little bit on how it all works. And yeah, things were a little bit different during COVID, but things are starting to look like back to normal again. Yeah. What were your What were you doing during COVID? Yeah. So some of the clubs I worked at had like. <laughs> This like green tape that went like one foot away from the stage and you weren't allowed to go in that section unless you were specifically tipping. So the rail was basically gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) There was no such thing. It it just disappeared. So that was a thing. People had to like sit down and you could only take your mask off if you were drinking or eating because we had food in the club at one point and that didn't work out. And (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. I just mask on for dances, mask on for clients and customers as well. And I mean, we closed really early at 10, which was honestly kind of nice. (laughs) Got to go home bed early. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You mentioned on your podcast that you were a former sugar baby. Um, How do you find them? How do you keep them? (laughs) And would you consider it like a a type of relationship? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So many great questions here. Okay. So, yes, I was Sugar Baby for a few years. And how I personally started with being a Sugar Baby was on a very famous site that most people would know, which is known as Seeking Arrangement. And that is the big whale (laughs) out there. There's also other ones like Ashley Madison. There's also like... Uh, I can't even remember the names anymore, but there are a couple other ones that are also kind of prominent, but basically seeking arrangement is kind of like a dating site or a dating app. So if you want to think about it that way, you create a profile, you could add a description, you could add what you're looking for, you could add your description, how tall you are, um, anything like that. And um, the same thing with potential sugar daddies, they also have to make a profile um, stating and I don't know how true this is or how accurate this is, but how much money they make in terms of like what bracket between this number and this number, um, they kind of indicate what they're looking for. And there's different tiers of membership that you can sign up for that gives you different perks. So that's kind of just like it in a nutshell in terms of like where you can find them. You could also find sugar daddies in real life, which I also did as well. Hang out a lot of like hotel lobby bars, <laughs> lots of hotel. <laughs> and even at the airport, I, I was able to meet some there too. Oh yeah. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes. <laughs> airport lounges and stuff. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of like how I was introduced to it. And I was 
kind of going through a breakup. I needed an ego boost. And my roommate at the time was like, Hey, you should try this psych health seeking arrangement. You like older guys anyways. So why don't you just get paid for it? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, 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 totally. It makes sense. So I started doing that and started going on paid dates and lunches and dinners. And then also me being naive, didn't really understand fully that this was also a job and this was sex work. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was really naive when a lot of people were asking, oh, and what else comes with that? Mm-hmm. And I also kind of wanted to see, well, are, are there any sugar daddies out there that, you know, we didn't have to have sex? Because then again, with my own internal like fight with myself, I'm like, well, I can't sleep with these people because I don't want to be seen as a hooker Mm -hmm. and just that internal struggle and just not really fully understanding. Like I would say my entire time sugar babying, I never saw that as sex work at -hmm. all, but yeah, things I've definitely come a long way. Yeah. (laughs) Learned a lot. So yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like in being in um, a sugar baby relationship, you're able to set the same kind of boundaries you do in real life? No, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think so. I mean, looking back at that point of time in my life and compared to where I am now, like, gosh, I was like, what, 22, three, four at the time, or maybe a little older, uh, I'm 32 now. And I have had a lot more wisdom (laughs) that I've gained. And I would say, no, it's really hard to establish boundaries sometimes with sugar daddies. Cause you like, maybe this is just me speaking on a personal note, but I was very much eager to please. If there was more money involved, I could be easily swayed. So there weren't really many boundaries or if there were boundaries, they were blurred or they're pushed constantly. Mm -hmm. And I feel a lot of the time and some people can argue with me that, okay, well, you know, you should be the one in control, you know, but at the same time, because I was so young and I feel like I had my head screwed on, but like there are girls on there that are even younger, like girls starting at 18. And I feel that a lot of sugar daddies don't have the right intentions in mind. And it can make for a lot of volatile situations. There is, sorry, trigger warning, a lot of mentions of sexual assault and people getting raped through sugar daddy and sugar relationships. So there's a lot of manipulation that can occur if you if you really don't have a clue what you're doing. So even though I was like one of the quote unquote older girls, it was still risky. And I still found myself in situations where I got taken advantage of. So I would always like, I I loved that lifestyle, but at the same time, I would have liked more resources and support going into it because we didn't have podcasts like this back in the day. We didn't have like books and blogs and articles and like TikToks, (laughs) (laughs) you know, giving you the warning signs of you might be in danger. So I just wanted to like put that out there as well, because it's oftentimes glamorized a lot. Mm. That's awesome. Good answers. Um, We've spoken before a few times, so I feel like I already know you personally. Why don't you tell everyone um, what your background is? 
Yeah. In terms of just like anything, everything or what? Uh, uh, in terms of descent. So where you come from. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm born and raised in uh, Vancouver, so I'm Filipino Chinese. So I'm about three quarters Filipino, quarter Chinese, but I'm pretty much a Twinkie because I don't speak any of the languages. My parents never taught me. They kind of regret that. And I never like had the motivation to teach myself. So yeah, <laughs> or coconut, I don't know. <laughs> um. I want to get into some of the questions that you definitely like to talk about and some of the questions that I already sent you. Um, are there particulars you think that come with being Filipino? Oh, gosh. Well, it's just stereotypes, right? So a lot of people think Filipino. So are you going to be a nurse when you grow up? Or like, you like pancits? Like, do you like cleaning? Because, you know, a lot of Filipinos are, you know, the help or, you know, um, domestic helpers, cleaners, nurses, those are very, very stereotypical. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because as a person that grew up here, I feel so disconnected from my identity sometimes, and especially not knowing the language, not having a lot of Filipino friends that spoke the language e either. Um, it was, and it was, and it still is kind of difficult to process and to re get really in touch with my, my Filipino heritage. And don't even talk to me about my Chinese heritage because I, that's even further <laughs> that died when my, the, like when my grandpa passed away. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been like, it's been, um, a journey. I feel like I've, in terms of like Filipino identity and stuff too, I've been really trying to actively, you know, get in touch with my heritage, whether that's talking with like my family and hearing stories of like my lineage, but also like even just like cooking Filipino food at home because mm. that's something that like went away when I moved out <laughs> 10 years ago. So oh, yeah. I love your food show. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Um, what does, how does behavior towards you differ from how other sex workers get treated? In terms of being Filipino? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I hate to put everything under umbrella, but um, being Filipino and being Asian in general, yes, we are subject to, I would say, fetishization for sure. Um, whether it's in my sex work life or my regular vanilla civilian life, I am definitely subjected to that, um, whether it's invited or not. And what I mean by that is just uh, commentary. So stuff like, oh, like assumptions, like, oh, you must be Filipina. I'm like, yeah, good guess. I am Filipina. <laughs> But they're like, oh, why do you have to say that? Because it's just like, are you trying to relate to me somehow? And then this usually, these comments typically come from cishet men, like 100% of the time. Yeah. And it's their effort in trying to like get to know me. And I say that in quotation marks because they're just trying to relate. And they're like, oh, I used to date a Filipina before. Oh, Filipina. <laughs> Yeah, I've been to the Philippines. I've been to Barakai. I love San Miguel beer. I'm just like, that's nice and all, but like, we, 
this conversation is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh it's like, not so nice. <laughs> um, do you think that Filipino people experience an othering from other people of Asian descent? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. So for those who don't identify as Asian, there's definitely um, an unspoken hierarchy within Asian cultures and ethnicities. So what I mean by that is, you know, Filipinos, and if you don't, I've never seen a Filipino before, we're generally tanned. <laughs> we have a beautiful complexion that's 100% natural. But um, just like with Black people, how there's colorism, it's a similar, it's from a similar vein that that happens within Asian cultures. So Oriental and like East Asians, like Japanese, Chinese, Koreans are seen at the top of the pyramid. And as you cascade down, you'll go more into Southeast Asia. So maybe Vietnamese, Laos, um, you come with Malaysian, Indonesian, as it trickles down, Filipinos are oftentimes near the bottom and some cultures within like the Asian ethnicities will look down upon that. And mm. as I mentioned earlier, because we are often hired help and we are often taking jobs as maids, um, this stereotype just gets perpetuated, perpetuated, perpetuated further and further. And this is something that's been going on for like decades, mm -hmm. even within my mom's generation, my grandparents' generation as well. So it's, it's really harmful, I would say to Filipino culture and just awful. It doesn't, it just further creates inequality. Mm -hmm. so, um, I've never heard of that, that before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking yeah. of not hearing anything before the question you brought up when we were talking before this was about model, the model minority concept. Tell us what that is. And yeah, just go for it. <laughs> just go. Cause I was like, what is that? What is that? So I had to like do a lot of research and I'm like, okay, let's get these. <laughs> I, Absolutely. I mean, it's again, based on a stereotype. Yes. Again. So model minority, and I'll try my best to explain it without stumbling and fumbling all over my words. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Asians, they're stereotypically, you know, we're deemed as quiet we have quiet nature we have a strong perseverance we have a really generally good work ethic um and these kind of stereotypical characteristics would lead to quote unquote better socioeconomic status you know better jobs and just overall success and Although that has maybe benefited um, those who identify as Asian, um, it creates and disadvantage it, it makes other minority minorities and ethnicities at a disadvantage. So you see as Asians as a model minority, but then on the other side, what other ethnicities are there? So blacks, Latinos, indigenous. Mm -hmm they're on the opposite scale. And that's seen as, you know, they're criminal, they're poor, they're unwealthy, they're unsuccessful. And basically it's, it's awful because it drives a wedge between these disadvantaged groups and kind of creates a minority within the minority groups, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense at all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's very, very harm harmful, I would say. And because anything that's based on a stereotype you know, there might be an air of truth hidden somewhere, but generally speaking, 
that stuff doesn't do anyone any good. It doesn't do any group any good because um, it just kind of paints a picture and then you, no one else can see anything beyond that. So, I mean, I can kind of draw from my own family. Like there's uh, myself, I'm the baby, my sister and my brother. My sister is seen as like the golden child. <laughs> Because she is one of those model minority Asians in my family. So she's the smartest one, like academically. She is doing very well in her career and just moving up. She's got a promotion. I'm so proud of her. Um, but then when you compare it to like my brother, like he didn't finish school. Um, and then myself, who just took a completely different pathway from any kind of model minority <laughs> kind of journey. Like that's, I'm just off. I'm, I'm like off the road completely. Like <laughs> I'm on the forest service road. So <laughs> no, it's been like, it's, it's been challenging for um, Asian parents to kind of understand other pathways in like job careers and stuff too, because the only thing they see is what they've been taught. And they also follow that model minority thing as well. Um, which, you know, they've, they're slowly learning to accept like my way of life, <laughs> which is good, but it's hard. It's hard yeah, based on yeah. these stereotypes. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I, I mean, I grew up the same kind of way, strict household. My mom, as soon as she found out I was dancing, was, I never raised you to be like this. And I was like, Oh goodness. <laughs> but yeah, she's come around. I mean, she still doesn't like it, but she doesn't try to fight me on it anymore. And she, I mean, I feel like um, I feel like I had to uh, do feature shows and competitions to better myself. Totally for her, but at the same time, I Um, love doing it. But I mean, when I first started to do it, it was because of my mother. I was like, she's gonna kill me if I don't make this into like something. Oh my god! (laughs) And of course, she would. I mean. At least she knows that you're a dancer. Like my mom doesn't even know, or maybe she's in like really crazy religious denial that I am. <laughs> I mean, I think my mom knew from a long time and she was definitely in denial until she confronted me. I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> so scary, scary times. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. I, I don't ever want to put my mom through that. Like she can just be willfully blind for as long as she lives. I think she would just like, kind of die a little bit oh, if you know, yeah, yeah. I totally get that <laughs> um okay let's talk about the content you have been creating these days so for those of you who don't know I was actually interviewed by Sia on her podcast called stripped by Sia so yeah. tell us a bit about that and how and why you started Oh yeah, this portion. Okay, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I forgot. It's so weird being on the other side of the mic, like not the <laughs> interviewer. Um, but Strip by Sia is my yeah, it's my podcast, it's my baby. I started that in 2019 after um, chatting with one of my regulars, and they were making a comment like, "Oh, you know, like strippers are such an amazing people. You know, like for, they're all influencers, uh, or like they have all these followers, and they all lead very, very different lives." And I'm like, "Yeah, there's definitely some tr- for sure. There's some truth in that." And it just like kind of stuck with me. And I had always wanted to create a podcast before, um, and I just thought it'd be a really cool idea to really help shine 
the lived experiences of sex workers, like as a whole, because, you know, the media portrays us and it depicts us in a certain way that, you know, we're abused and you, some people, in some cases there are, there mm-hmm. are abuse cases for sure. Um, or we're addicted to substances or we're forced into the job or whatever. And I just really wanted to share real stories and pretend um, that I'm a journalist. And <laughs> <laughs> You're a really good journalist, girl. I Fuck. <laughs> I love your episodes. I love them. They're so Thank good. You. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of like how it started. And like, I just really we wanted to educate people, um, not just people within our community, because a lot of people that listen to the show are sex workers, but also to educate um, like civilians and, and non-sex workers because I feel like they need the most education personally. Mm-hmm. So I just really wanted to do that with an aim to destigmatize sex work because, you know, our work is like highly, highly stigmatized and that needs to go away. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of destigmatization, one of your, one of my favorite episodes is the lecture you did at the university that you went to school at. And yes, you talked about destigmatization. Let's get real about sex and ex- like accept <laughs> it into our part of human existence. It is like it's work. It's a job. Like yes, one hundred percent, it is. And like it's like it's been so um, really enlightening to have been invited back to my university and also like if, at that Simon Fraser. If anyone's listening, shout out, <laughs> go clan. Um, <laughs> I used to be translator too, but anyway, oh, <laughs> but yeah, I've spoken to us a couple other different engagements in, as well too. And I just really think it's a great opportunity to really get in touch with people that, you know, that might not listen to the show, but these are, you know, our future change makers, hopefully, or people that, you know, want a better understanding of, mm-hmm. of sex workers and what we do in our community. And I think it was just such an honor to have been invited to speak, um, semester after semester. Um, and you know, there is a lot of interest coming from these students and a lot of it is a lot of like, um, myth busting. So they usually have a lot of the questions about like, Oh, well, I thought sex work was this, or I thought this is what you guys did. And then it just humanizes sex workers so much. Cause I'm just like, well, we pay our taxes and there's like boring parts of the job that I don't always like and like all the admin stuff that I have to do on the back end like I'm not a fan of that and <laughs> it just really makes it seem more relatable and like mm. real that's and idea. I yeah and it just, yeah, it's just <laughs> that's what I wrote <laughs> relatable and informative I wrote that so I'm just like yes we're on the same page <laughs> taking my language <laughs> Go on, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it's just, it's really cool to um, see the feedback that comes in. And like a lot of the times, um, the students are really, really interested in hearing your story. They're always hearing, how did you get into sex work? And then I feel like sometimes they're always shocked at like, oh, I actually wanted to do this. Mm. Because again, like what I said earlier with like society feeding us these like, <laughs> lies basically <laughs> you know I mean like people grow up with movies they grow up with tv they grow up with like law and order and all this stuff like and I love that show by the way but like it's not uh realistic and it's not accurate so it's really nice for um these 
academic institutions to bring people in because we are experts in our own field and to kind of tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. And to go on top of that, how do you think we should go about speaking honestly about sex work, sex, pornography, all that jazz? Everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, one is to just talk about it, <laughs> bring it into your regular conversation, um, treat it as if it is just like a normal dinner table topic, because why can't it be? Mm-hmm. If, if politics and other controversial things can be regular table side talk, then why can't sex work be the same way? If we can speak about, you know, um, like in the news right now, it's all about like, uh, like the news in Texas, like don't say gay law and like stuff like that, that are really highly controversial to me. It shouldn't be, but it's within like a similar vein. You have sex workers who are a marginalized group of people. Um, why can't we be treated just like other marginalized group of people? When we talk about race, when we talk about gender, when we talk about class, um, these are all things that we as sex workers, these are like additional layers on top of the stigma we already have. Like these are a lot, a lot of things that we have to deal with already. So why not just talk about it and normalize it in that way? Um, when it comes to talking about porn, for example, I think it's important to understand that that is a fantasy and not just with porn, but I guess like with sex work in general, a lot of it is role-playing a lot of it is based on fantasy and you have to have that delineation um, to have a really firm understanding and like grasp of it all. Because I feel like sometimes when, for example, when porn's getting into the wrong hands or like, you know, kids are finding it like too early and stuff too. Um, it's better for you to just talk to them about it first rather than them finding their own ways and having that be a teacher and their, their sexual health educator, <laughs> you know what I mean? So other than that, um, gosh, how else do we talk about it? Um, I mean, listening to, shows like this, like, yes, a stripper <laughs> and also like strip by Sia and like, whatever, whatever. There's so many resources out there that are putting out this information for you for free. So <laughs> there's kind of no excuse unless you're truly not interested and truly do not want to support us. So those are just a couple of, of examples, but <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about all the glorious food you've been cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Woman, you can cook. I love food so much. I am a true foodie at heart. And your cooking is like music to my ears. I can only imagine what it tastes like. Um, How long you've been doing that? Like who taught you? Is that something that was self-taught? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Well, you know what? I was, um, I started off baking as a kid because I was really scared of my stove because (laughs) well, we were, we had this like gas burner, but like one of the gas burners was like kind of wonky. So it like would come up with this giant flame and I'm just like, Oh, I'm scared of fire. Like this is really scary. So I just um, started baking a lot at the age of 10 um, when my aunt gave me a cookbook and I just like did like cooked my way through that cookbook and they're all just like recipes for kids, like super Mm. easy stuff. You use a can of like cream of mushroom and you make a sauce out of this or whatever. Um, 
And then it just kind of started evolving after that because I just didn't really like the food that my mom cooked. So I was like, well, I'll just try to make something that I think is more palatable and tasty. And mm-hmm. it just be- started becoming something that I really started to enjoy. Um, it actually kind of got kind of big when I was 18 because that's when I started my cupcake business. So I feel like maybe some people don't know that about me, but I used to own and operate a cupcake and cake company for about seven years. Wow. (laughs) I definitely did not know that. (laughs) It was a long time ago. It was called Dolce Delights. And I used to make cupcakes for networking events, weddings, birthday parties, bachelorettes. Um, And I used to sell my cupcakes out of this storefront in downtown Vancouver and how I got into that partnership is like, I dropped off my business card because I tried their cupcakes that they had. And I'm just like, hey, um, you can I'm a local. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you can do better. I'm like, I make cupcakes. And if you want to try some, please reach out. And the owner of that shop uh, reached out to me and is like, let's try your cupcakes. And like, let's give you a trial run. And luckily, this is when like Twitter was really big, like back in 2010. So I'd like send all my followers to be like, go buy cupcakes at this place called Bonchas Bakery. And then I just kept bringing business into them and was like catering to both of their uh, locations um, all while juggling my, uh, my undergrad, like going to school and cheerleading and all that stuff. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then like I stopped that, which is fine because it just started becoming like work to me. Um, And it's like when things start becoming work, it's like, when you're doing something you love and you're just not having fun with it anymore, like that's what was starting to happen with me and cupcakes and all that stuff. Mm. So that took a bit of a backseat because for some reason I should have just followed my entrepreneurial roots, but I was like, I need to get a corporate job and work in an office because that's what you're supposed to do. Working nine to five. Working nine to five. And I'm like, no. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't only, I mean, I've always loved cooking, but I haven't really kind of made my way back to like food and stuff um, up until recently. So I guess it was two years ago now during the pandemic was when I started my YouTube channel and that's all about noodles. Um, Yeah. Noodles, like the kind that you eat, not nudes that I have my only fans for that. That's something else. (laughs) But (laughs) No, I just, um, I lost all of my, all of my jobs during the pandemic. I couldn't dance anymore. Um, offices were good, were closing right, left and center. And I was like, well, I guess this is time for me to start that YouTube channel. I've always wanted to do. And I just like self-taught myself how to like edit videos and kind of make things on, on the fly. And yeah, now I'm monetizing off of that. So I'm pretty happy yeah. about that. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, you mentioned um, that you were going juggling your, your graduate while doing the cupcake cake business. Um, what did you take yes. at Simon Fraser? Oh yeah. I actually studied, I majored in criminology and minored in studies. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why it was super freaking cool that like when uh, Dr. Tamara Doherty like was like, Hey, like you should come to my class because she, she's a professor in criminology. And it just seemed to kind of it, I don't know, get like make its way full circle that I'm able to like give back to the community that way. Yeah. So glad to have you on our side. 
Yeah. I'd <laughs> love <Okay>. that. <laughs> what does your average day look like? What do you do to get ready and prepare to, to your editing and down to your downtime? Oh my God, girl, if I had downtime. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had downtime. Like I, I mean, okay. So there's a couple different things going on. So I, I have a very part-time vanilla job that I sometimes work like this morning. So I work at a hotel in downtown in the morning. Okay. Let, let me start again. Wake up, <laughs> wake up 520, get ready on the train go to work this is like 5 uh 50 in the morning get to work start 6 30 done 11 come home make great lunch start working with my marketing consult consultation job so i i manage a couple different clients i do that from usually one o'clock and onwards or if i'm interviewing for my show for strip Icia, then I would usually schedule interviews at 1 PM till 2, 2 30, and then continue with my vanilla marketing work. I try to have a good cutoff time at five o'clock. Cause I like to set boundaries when it comes to work. Right. Cause I have a lot of gigs going on. And then from there, it's either I'm teaching dance like pole dancing or i am starting to get ready for the club or starting to pack for the week that's happening or i'd start to edit my youtube videos and, and then maybe make dinner around that time but usually it's two words one stone because i'll try to film whatever i'm making for dinner as part of my content creation mm. for my youtube um, but i really yeah I, I really try i have a rule to be done working at like nine. I, I don't want to be working when the sun's like, I don't want to be working like when it's already dark. I'm just like, okay, no, I gotta like stop. Like this is, this is too much, but not every day is like that. Cause I, every day is a little bit different, but that's generally speaking. And then if I'm working at the club, then I'll be there until like two. <laughs> Jake, so. That is quite the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long day, but they're productive days. So like, I'd like bring my laptop in to like the club and work from there sometimes on like the earlier in the week when it's quiet. So yeah, yeah. it's all about balance. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. Fuck. You have to have that self-care. It's ridiculous if you don't have enough time. Oh yeah. <laughs> self-care. Yeah. And downtime. I mean, when I do have downtime, um, I really try to have weekends off. Like I really just want to spend some time with like my fiance same with the evenings as well, but he has some late meetings too. So it kind of works out, but, mm -hmm. um, honestly going out to eat or going for a drink, a nice bottle of wine, traveling is a huge Ooh, thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. You travel bug you just <laughs> yeah. in the East coast of Canada. How yes. was that? Oh my gosh. It was amazing. amazing. You went to, did you go to all the Maritimes? Like all of it? Yeah. Newfoundland, oh, wow. Scotia, PEI, New Brunswick. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. Good for amazing. You. How was the oh. food in there? <laughs> oh my God. Well, if you love seafood, you'll love it. I personally love seafood. I ate like my weight in lobster and oysters. Mm -hmm. I bet oysters. Yeah. They're oh, just as you should. Memories. The memories. Yes. I'm going back you in were there. I'm going back. Going back. Yeah. Yes. Well, my partner's family lives out there. So it makes sense. If I have time to go out there, I'll do competitions, yeah. teach and visit his family. So that's like perfect. perfect. <laughs> that's like in Nova Scotia or where? Um, New Brunswick. 
Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Oh my God. So, <laughs> I'm excited for you. And oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Um, tell us about the engagement. How did he propose? Oh Where did he do it? Holy shit. Okay. So yeah. So a little bit of backstory. And if, for those who don't know, my fiance was a former client of mine. I was going <laughs> to ask. I was like, is he in the industry? How did you meet? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah. He was a former client of mine. So I used to do like in-person sessions for like foot fetishes and stuff like that. And my guy has a foot fetish and yeah, we met, um, a long time ago, a long time ago, I guess it was two years ago, but <laughs> that happened in a crock pot, I swear. <laughs> yeah. And that happened. I went away for Europe to Europe for a year. I oh, was a year. Sorry. I went away to Europe for a month. And this is right before the pandemic. And um, he had given me a proposition of, hey, I would like to be your personal slave. And now I just know it was because he wanted to spend more time with me. <laughs> so yeah so that happened when I came back he was like my personal uber driver he was like doing grocery shopping for me cleaning all the stuff it was great it was I mean he still does some of that so it's great (laughs) (laughs) everyone needs their own personal slave (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so things kind of got romantic just like right before the pandemic hit and we're like well I guess like we'll just see where things go and we'll just quarantine with each other and just go with the flow because I don't got anywhere to be I lost my job so I'm just gonna walk around er- everywhere for hours so I did that and then um I don't know during the pandemic and I don't know if anyone else here was in fresh relationships during the pandemic but like it, yeah yes <laughs> it was like a crock pot now we've moved into a bigger house like we're probably going to be engaged soon we're talking about babies and then oh a year God. a year and a half of yeah, yeah of living it's together like fast forward yeah yeah like he like <laughs> times that by three because like we've been together for two ish years and yeah basically he proposed and like i had no idea it was going to happen last year so it happened at the end of last year and I just thought okay because like I we were traveling together I saw something on his phone about whatever the diamond company name was and I was like oh that's interesting like I don't think this guy has money right now but like sure maybe he's like Didn't think anything of it. Exactly on it, but no, I'm just like he doesn't have money right now. We just bought like a house. We uh, bought a car and stuff. So I was like, there's no money anywhere. So I'm like, maybe he's budgeting for next year. Like, cool. And then we had a trip, a surprise trip out to Niagara, and I did not know where we were going because we just came back. This is when we came back from the Maritimes. And he had another, it was my birthday during the Maritimes, but he was like, oh, but this is for your real birthday. Like this, that was just us together. Like, no, we're going to do this surprise weekend in the surprise destination. And we end up flying to Niagara because, well, I love waterfalls a lot. <laughs> <laughs> love waterfalls. Um, and basically, yeah, he told me to turn around and look at the waterfalls so I can pose <laughs> and look pretty. And then next thing you know, I feel a tug in my like coat pocket. And then he's just like down on one knee. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm like freaking out. And he was 
visibly nervous too. And he ended up just sliding the ring on and was like, here you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's exactly how it happened. I'm just like, here, question mark, here. (laughs) I didn't even say yes. And then like, he basically like snapped out of it and was like, oh my God, he went to his whole speech and uh, yeah, it was, it was really romantic though. Like he just, the whole entire weekend is extremely romantic. We went on a helicopter ride, went on these like nice dinners and wine tasting and all the stuff is like perfectly orchestrated and he did good. Nice. Yes. So oh, good <laughs> job, man. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's time for some rapid fire Q and a let's begin the four for one. What is the weirdest thing someone has asked you to do? Oh man. Um, and I don't want to kink shame or anything, but it, it was, it just came off to me. It's really graphic, but, um, has anyone ever heard of heel insertion? No, but I'm getting visuals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have to go there, but heel okay. inserting in two areas. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> can't. Oh. That's the boundary I'm not willing to cross. <laughs> um, if you could bring back a fashion trend, what would it be? A fashion trend? Oh, geez. Oh, God. Well, I was going to say low rise jeans, but that's already kind of coming into effect, like as we speak. <laughs> I don't know if I'd personally wear it, but I like the look. So. <laughs> um what do you want to be remembered for mostly oh that's a great question ah honestly the impact um that I hope to make (laughs) in whatever community that I'm involved with so whether it is with sex work the work that I've done here or just being really weird and funny on my YouTube channel or just like being a nice person. I, I just want I just want to be remembered in a positive light and hopefully it would have contributed to society in, in a greater kind of way. So still working on that though. Cereal <laughs> <laughs> um, um, or porridge, pick one. I don't eat breakfast, so oh! I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do a different one. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Oh shit. I'm also neither because I like reptiles, <laughs> but I don't own a pet. So well, there you go. That that's it. That's good enough answer for me. <laughs> um, before we log off here, do you want to tell everyone how they can find you, your OnlyFans, your Instagram, your YouTube, all that jazz? Oh, Shoot yeah. off your handles. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Get ready for it. There's a lot. So <laughs> it's stripped by Sia on all podcast platforms, stripped by Sia on Twitter. I'm really active on there on Instagram as well. My personal is Sia stuff. So my last name and S T P H not with an F that's really offensive. Um, <laughs> on, <laughs> on YouTube, you can find me as Sia slurps and don't forget to subscribe, maybe write me a nice comment. I read all of them. And if you want to help support the show or it, or, or anything, or just want to get to know me a bit better, uh, it's patreon.com slash strip by Sia. Or if you really want to get to know me, it's onlyfans.com slash Sia stuff. 
That's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, everyone, you heard it there first. Make sure you follow, 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 and subscribe. Also, follow us on Yes, the Stripper podcast. And also, if you're enjoying what you're hearing today and you want to hear more of these podcasts, head on over to our website, yesastripperpodcast.com and find those donation buttons because this is a listener-funded podcast and we could use as much donations as possible to help all the sex workers and the hosts that come on the show to keep the show going. Yes. All right. Awesome. Okay, so I will bid you all adieu. Thank you so much, Sia, for joining me and <laughs> I will see you all later. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. This episode has been a production with Period Podcast Network. Find out more on Instagram at Period Podcast Network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram too at Yes, a Stripper Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at Yes, a Stripper Pod. Please like, subscribe, and rate Yes, a Stripper Podcast here on YouTube. See you next week.